Reporting from San Francisco on the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws Conference, this is Cultural Baggage, the unvarnished truth about the drug war. Now, Grandma, she didn't have much time left, but she made use of every breath. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. My name is Dean Becker. The song we introed with was Grandma by John Nicholson, who won an award at the Normal Conference this year, and it's from his CD, A Little Something Something. John was also the opening act at the Normal Party at Pier 23. Despite the pronouncements of the FDA on 420 during our conference that marijuana had no medical value, it has proven itself a safe and effective medicine hundreds of times by studies conducted by notable organizations from around the planet. More and more grandmas are indeed using cannabis as medicine. Opening up the conference was the chairman of the board of directors of Normal, Steve Dillon. San Francisco is the continuing battleground for liberty, reason, and compassion here in America. The theme of this conference is grassroots to grass tops. And you can sure get a lot of different uh, meanings and levels out of that, can't you? I, I, of course, thought first of the marijuana plant. From the roots, the start of the plant, the alpha, uh, it starts that growth cycle. The, the, the roots provide the essential nutrients to the plant, the anchor the plant, hold it in the ground. To the tops, the omega, you know, that's it for many of us. Uh, that's the part we value most. Now, the stocks have value too, but today is roots and tops. The most important part, the most beautiful part, in many ways the tops are the results of the work of the farmer, of course. The plant depends on the roots, the stock, the leaves, and, of course, Mother Nature. The tops end up as the nutrient, the medicine, the seeds, uh, and has recreational healing and spiritual purposes more than we could ever describe, and has for, what, 10,000 years at least. But you know, you can't have one without the other. You must have the roots before you can have the tops. One is not better than another. It's the alpha and the omega. I had, to, being a lawyer, I had to look up the definition of grassroots in Webster's International Dictionary. And it defined grassroots as soil at or near the surface, the farming in rural districts of a county as distinguished from the industrial and urban areas, the people of these districts when constituting or acting as a fundamental politic, a political economic group, and the source of independent popular opinion. And that's us, isn't it? It's the very foundation or source of something is its grassroots. It's the fundamental part, for example, the grassroots of a political organization or movement. And that is us, because we are the grassroots. We are the grassroots reform movement. This land is your land. This land is my land. Isn't it time we claimed it? 
We ought to claim our land. You know, we are the majority. 72% of us in a couple polls say we, the people, favor decriminalization of possession of marijuana. 75% of us, three out of four of us, favor the medical use of marijuana. Eleven states have passed laws providing for medical marijuana. One state, Rhode Island, has passed a law since the Supreme Court decision last June, the Raish Munson decision. It's still going. Several cities, many cities, and growing every year, have the lowest priority enforcement or decriminalization of possession of small amounts of marijuana. Almost half the adults in the United States have tried pot. That's 100 million people. We have gone past the threshold, ladies and gentlemen. So, if a hundred million of us have tried pot and know it isn't the stuff the government says, why isn't it legal? Well, the short answer is control, fear, greed, lies, racism, and politics. They make it illegal. The government is trying to trample us like grass beneath its boots. 771,608 people were arrested in this country, our land, in 2004 for marijuana. That's one every 42 seconds or thereabouts. It was 44.2% of all the drug arrests in America that year. Marijuana arrests have doubled since 1993, while the arrests for heroin and cocaine have sharply declined. The price of marijuana has gone up. The price of cocaine and serious drugs has gone down because of this marijuana prohibition. 17 million of us have been arrested for marijuana possession, mainly, since 1965. It's amazing. The United States has 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prison population. 56% of those incarcerated are there for nonviolent drug crimes. All this in the land of liberty and freedom. The drug prohibition is ineffective and counterproductive. It is racist in its origin, and it's racist today. We know that. For example, African Americans comprise 8.8% of the United States population, but 23% of marijuana arrests. The drug prohibition is immoral and violates our rights and common sense. It is ridiculous to arrest and lock up over 700,000 citizens at the cost of 40 to $100 billion a year, depending on how you count the financial cost. But, you know, there's so many other losses besides the financial losses, like denying 190,000 young people the opportunity to go to college. There's many other costs besides the financial, of course, and the truth is the first thing to go in any war, and it's not, it's not untrue in this war. Truth is the first to go. And how about licenses and registration so people can work? Like driver's licenses help, too. Uh, loss of your children. They're taking your kids away. Loss of your voting rights. Some states disenfranchise you forever uh, on a felony conviction. Loss of gun permit to carry guns. Loss of the right to have guns in your home. Loss of subsidized housing, even for other people in your family if you get busted. Loss of respect for law enforcement in the court system. Loss of hundreds of thousands of careers for those arrested and hundreds of thousands of more people lose their careers because of drug testing that has no relevance to impairment at the workplace. DUID laws that are per your drunk driving if they catch you with metabolites of pot in your system. You smoke a joint now and three weeks later you get pulled over in Indiana and in nine other states and you're per se drunk despite all the science and logic. Forfeiture laws. My God, we lose our homes, our money, our property. 
drug excise tax laws. You pay an excise tax on your car, but you can drive it. You pay an excise tax on pot, and that's just so you don't pay higher penalties on the excise tax. Loss of driving privileges, loss of citizenship or visa status, waste of law enforcement funds, equipment and manpower, waste of the court system, corruption of the courts, waste in maintaining and building prisons, and loss of the use of the marijuana plant itself, which is the best plant we got. The losses are staggering. Albert Einstein once said that nothing is more destructive of respect for the government and laws of the land than passing laws which can't be enforced. And obviously this one can't be enforced. The government hasn't been able to enforce this one. It's gone from 5,000 users and 37 to 100 million today. And what about prohibition? It's un-American. Prohibition is destroying our land, your land and my land, and darkening our spirits. President Lincoln once said that prohibition goes beyond the bounds of reason and that it attempts to control a man's appetite by legislation and makes a crime out of things which aren't crimes. A prohibition law strikes a blow at the very principles upon which our government was founded. The government continues to lie to you about marijuana. It will tell you there is no medical benefit from marijuana, that it's unsafe to use in treatment, that cocaine and heroin's okay, uh, that the whole basis of the Controlled Substance Act and classification of marijuana in Schedule One is based on this lie and misclassification. The lie that the federal law under the Supreme Court can be enforced against people and providers and patients in the medical marijuana states. This is a violation, ladies and gentlemen, and not only your first, fourth, fifth, ninth, tenth, and fourteenth amendments to the United States Constitution and Article One, Section Eight, Interstate Commerce Clause. At least those. Medical mar marijuana use in San Francisco is not interstate commerce. Give me a break. It's all right here. And it's your God given right. It's the American basis or root foundation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And where, just where does the government get the power to regulate marijuana? You know, when they did the alcohol prohibition, they had to pass the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution to get the power to regulate it. I don't recall them doing that. Do you? The government will tell you that men who smoke pot grow breast and become sterile, that pregnant women harm their unborn child by smoking any amount of marijuana, that the marijuana used today is 30 3% THC compared to 1% THC in the 70s, that marijuana leads to serious drug addiction problems. I debated a cop, Sergeant Crabtree, last year of the Marijuana Eradication Project in Indiana, and he was saying things in the paper like, well, Dylan's right, we ought to concentrate on meth labs. But you know, all those meth labs were started by meth addicts that started smoking ditchweed. Oh, that's what we're dealing with, folks. The ditchweed will turn you into an addict. The, that the government has the power or right to do this to you, they will tell you they do, then you know that it's a lie. The answer, Thomas Jefferson said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Well, we are the people, and we are the majority, and we need to assert ourselves. We need to live in reason and justice for all. To choose love instead of fear is our basis and the basis for our government. We need to take control of the mess we are in and to do something about it, and we need to do something about it soon. What are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for? Are we waiting for another George Bush? This is your land. This is my land. And I, for one, don't like the way Bush and the government is destroying my land. You know, if you're not outraged by what's going on, you aren't paying attention. 
We need to show our strength, our grassroots. We should never for one second be ashamed of our long history of marijuana use in this country. We know the truth, and the truth is our basis. Our roots are not like the lies which are the government's basis. The government's prohibition of marijuana is doomed because it's based on falsehood and fear. And our victory over the prohibition is certain because we are finally ready to act to change things now. It is certain that we will win because our roots are based in experience, truth, and love. And it is our patriotic duty to act. Fellow normal board member Barbara Ehrenreich said that no matter that patriotism is often the refuge of scoundrels, dissent, rebellion, and all-around hell-raising remains the true duty of a patriot. People are unwilling to believe that they're really in the majority, even though we are. They think it's unsafe to stand up and to stand out and demand change. But we must realize it ourselves and then tell other people we must empower ourselves first and then our friends and our families and then people at work and then to other people, everybody else. We must have the same kind of faith that our founding mothers and fathers had when they started this country. The faith of those who fought for freedom from slavery. The faith of those who fought for voting and civil rights. The faith of those who have fought to defend our freedom and the way of life we have. We have that strength. This land is your land. This land is my land. And we must individually and collectively act now to do whatever we can to let everybody know that marijuana is okay and we're wasting our time and money trying to prohibit it. We are the grassroots. We deserve and demand change from our government or a new government we need that's responsive to we the people. Thomas Jefferson once said that the freedom and happiness of man are the sole objects of all legitimate government. And he was willing, among others, to mutually pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to set up and defend a country by the people and for the people. They knew they were right because their principles were based in natural law and truth. They had an intolerable situation, and they had the courage and the wisdom and the faith to act. They knew it was risky to stand out. We don't all hang together. We'll hang separately. And as Benjamin Franklin said, they that give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. People sometimes don't realize their collective or even individual power to help change a bad system. They think that they're in the minority or something bad will happen to them if they demand change or write a letter to the editor or called into a live radio show or ran for office or voted for a candidate that promised change. But they're wrong not to act because we can and we will make a difference. Those of us right now, here, right now in this room, can, can push that ball rolling. As Margaret Mead once said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. I want to thank you all for coming to this conference. I know you all do a lot for the drug reform movement and we stand together in the defense of liberty and freedom. As Simon Wiesenthal, a Holocaust survivor, said, freedom is not a gift from God. If you want freedom, you must work for it every day. And now let us go forth from this place 
committed anew to the cause of liberty for all people, that next year we may celebrate in a world made better by our efforts. Rufus King began the drug reform community in the United States in the 1950s and 60s when it took real courage to stand up to the U.S. government. Therefore, each year, Normal presents the Rufus King Award for activism. Marsha Rosenbaum was chosen to present this honor. Uh, it gives me great honor to honor a politician, Ross Mercarini, who is just 16 months into the office of supervisor of the city and county of San Francisco. And in that short time, at the very beginning, right out of the gate, he became our main spokesperson, our main advocate for marijuana law reform in San Francisco. Now, this was not a particularly easy job, even though we are the Amsterdam of America. Ross took it from both sides as he attended each and every meeting. He missed nothing. He and um, his protege, Boris Delapine, who I think is here too, um, were right there with us in our efforts to uh, regulate cannabis, medical cannabis dispensaries, and now is involved in marijuana law reform generally in San Francisco. So it has not been an easy job. He, again, has, um, has had to deal with the, the criticisms of both sides, both the reform community and the political climate in San Francisco. It wasn't easy, so it is especially um, delicious to give this important award to Ross Mercurini. First, I want to welcome you all once again to San Francisco. Congrats to Normal, uh, Drug Policy Alliance, and really all the policy advocates uh, throughout this country who are pushing beautifully um, against the illogical and the misguided laws, federally or state, that continue to perpetuate what I think are just the complete ill-advised thinking of criminalizing marijuana use. You would have think and thought, in a place like San Francisco, where we should be the Amsterdam, and we like to believe at times that we are, of the United States, but we're not. With the advent of the Bush administration, but not just with the Bush administration, the pushback against really the attempt of trying to decriminalize medical cannabis because of the 10 states who were able to adopt Prop 215 type laws and others who tried but failed, but vigorously keep trying again, we were now seeing a response, vigorous and robust response, in trying to subvert that attempt by right-wing tendencies and those people who just didn't quite get it. It put this movement, in my opinion, on the defensive, and San Francisco was no different. What we were noticing in the last several years in California is that municipalities who were electing to try to create a medical cannabis and regulate a medical cannabis infrastructure designed so that it would be protected with safe haven from any prosecution, those very same governments that opened its arms to Prop 215 and Senate Bill 420 were now finding themselves under siege by other influences to try to reduce the very gains that everybody in this room, all of us, had made 
over the last 10 years since the advent of 215. That was no different in San Francisco. As a matter of fact, what we noticed with chronic familiarity is everybody would say, we're for medical cannabis. We want medical cannabis. We just don't want it in our front yards. And that particular logic, as as complex as it is, was emblematic of what certainly concerned me that would continue to drive back in the shadows the very idea of what we're all congregated here for, and that is, is to mainstream the issue so that marijuana should not be criminalized and medical cannabis should not be criminalized and that we should do everything we can to build that kind of resiliency and shore up, even in the face of adversity, that while there's any pushback or blowback from our efforts to try to proliferate Prop 215 states throughout all 50 states in the United States, that we should not shrink at all with that ever particular kind of adversity once again. And that was even true here in San Francisco. So by our demonstration of that response, we built laws And these are common sense laws. I'm not saying that this is anything so fantastic that it deserves this particular award, but I got to tell you, I'm very honored to be bestowed with this honor today. But we designed laws just so the fact that we would at least regulate an infrastructure so that no longer would medical cannabis dispensaries have to operate in a subterranean environment, operate in the shadows operate like bars of African-Americans used to operate many decades ago, or gay bars would have to operate many decades ago, in the same way that has now subordinate medical cannabis dispensaries that would have to operate now. It was always this sort of don't ask, don't tell policy. What kind of progressive government, what kind of logical government operates with policies such as that? We know it's a prevalent practice. We know it's a needed practice for those who require cannabis in order to take care of the ills and the, and the health issues that they are trying to reconcile and address. So what good is it for a government to try to bury this? Just the opposite. I say with great gusto that we regulate and we reform. We stand up to those who say this is not something that Americans should be endorsing or support. We should go even as more bold than that. Politicians, local, state, or federal, who are not for the decriminalizing of marijuana and certainly not for the legalization of the use of medical cannabis should not be in elected office at all. Now, I'm proud of the fact that the newest state to join the 215 cadre happens to be my home state, Rhode Island. And I'm proud of the fact... And so I feel like I've covered both quotes quite comfortably. <laughs> and I'm also proud of the fact that my roots are not just new in this particular issue. It was in the early 1970s that my mother helped start the normal chapter in the state of Rhode Island. And it was a little awkward, you know, going to Catholic school, and my friends would, like, want to know, what's that about, man, with your mom? I don't, you know. <laughs> Rhode Island's a pretty Catholic state. But in this particular case, what worries me in the face of our government who shifts to the right, considerably so, whether you're Republican, Democrat, independent or not, that it's sort of those bellwether issues where I think that cannabis is a bellwether issue. It's at the tipping point on the revolution of common sense, where I feel that Republicans, 
and liberals and moderates and those who just don't give a damn about partisan politics at all know in their hearts, know very well that when we commit such precious resources to an illegal war abroad like in Iraq, where we siphon away precious funds away from states or municipalities where they struggle to keep on top of the social service needs, try to keep on top of addressing what often, and even here in San Francisco, even in my district, the spikes of gun violence and homicides that ravage communities. And then we have to justify that those same dollars used in the criminal justice system are the same dollars spent to prosecute those who use marijuana. It doesn't make sense at all. And we know, and we know very well within the visceral response, and you'll hear from many scholars here today and advocates who make a very strong and compelling case. Quite frankly, it's an unimpeachable case that we cannot in this country afford what I consider just the retarded decision of bad policy making that in orders to subvert our ability to manage our governments locally. I cannot endorse any candidate here in San Francisco, whether it would be city attorney, district attorney, or public defender, who would advocate for any reversal of a lenient trend towards how we uh, treat those who use marijuana. It makes no sense whatsoever. But that's San Francisco. The question is, what are you going to do in your own cities? What are you going to do in those swing states that tip from blue to red and red to blue again? What pressure is being applied in areas that you shouldn't really take for granted, like an area of the Bay Area in Northern California or Santa Monica and Los Angeles? What are you going to do in places where those politicians feel that they absolutely have to cater to the old ideals that are so stultified and stodgy that it's what makes their own local governments and, frankly, their own state and federal governments appear obsolete, while other nations abroad just completely outdistance us in their smart-thinking reforms of how to deal with the decriminalization of drug use altogether. It requires the same kind of political pressure as you would in any campaign to treat it as if you want my vote, you want my support, you pony up. You can't get elected in San Francisco if you're for the death penalty, and you certainly can't get elected in San Francisco if you're going to be for the prosecution of cannabis use, especially medical cannabis use. That should be the kind of bellwether that should be deployed wherever we are, no matter what conservative strongholds here in the United States. And the kind of laws that... And the kind of laws that we pass here were only meant to be a template, not one that's supposed to be original just to the boundaries of San Francisco, but one that we hope that would at least permeate the kind of logic and sensibility that no matter where you are in the United States, conservative or liberal, that you adopt with compassionate understanding and smart public policy sort of vision that we want to create an infrastructure where we already know exists. It's underground. It is before us. It is in front of us. But as soon as we, with love, adopt through the mainstream process the, the understanding and the administration through local government and state government, the practice of cannabis usage, we will be a much better country for it. Thank you for the award. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's cultural baggage and that you'll listen into this week's Century of Lies program where we feature more from the normal conference in San Francisco as well as a bit of audio from a torture done by U.S. police against a U.S. citizen who might have some drugs. We're closing out with a portion of the song Cannabis Eucharist by Soul Medic out there in California off their CD, Western Cleansing. You know, each week I state that because of prohibition, we don't know what's in that bag. And I know because of an encounter in California that we ought to know what's in that marijuana bag as well. For engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage saying, please, my dear friends, be careful. It has special toxic vibes, all dirty venom. I'm gonna have to tell them, yeah, we are sending, and that's all we're sending, all of the children. Well, well.